Hey everyone, welcome to Midweek at the Compass. My name is Jake and I'm our online pastor here. I'm grateful to have you joining us. You know, for our weekend services, we're walking through the early life of this biblical character named David. And this week specifically, we got to see a little bit of a juxtaposition, right? We got to see how Saul reacted, who was king at the time, and how David reacted in a certain situation. And don't just take it from me. I'm going to read just a really quick passage out of 1 Samuel chapter 18 that shows that. There was these group of people uh, after David had slain Goliath and ultimately they were singing and dancing and the people sang starting in verse seven saying, Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. Saul was very angry. This refrain displeased him greatly. They've credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but with me only thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? And from that time on, Saul kept a close eye on David. You know, we got to learn that Saul was very jealous of the attention that David was getting. But the flip side of jealousy most of the time is contentment. And that's what we're going to be talking about here today. You know, I was told in high school that you should never start off a presentation by defining a word. So I'm going to start out a presentation here by defining a word. And really just to know that contentment is just like a deep soul satisfaction. So what does it look like to be content? How can you grow in it? Where can we learn about contentment, maybe from even just our personal stories? So I'm excited to have the guest that we have today. I'm joined by Ryan Worsley, who is our uh, pastor. He is our campus pastor at our Naperville campus. Ryan, thanks for taking the time to do this. No, I'm glad to be here. Hello, everyone. So you and I are kindred spirits in some ways. Yeah. Um, And one of those is just the fact that ministry wasn't our first profession. Yeah, that's right. So tell me a little bit about what was your first profession? What did that look like Mm. and how did you get to that point? Well, my first profession, I was an attorney, a practicing attorney for uh, seven years down in Atlanta. Um, I was a litigator. People always want to know, well, what kind of law did you practice? So what kind of law did you practice? Because they think law and order, right? Okay. (laughs) Well, it wasn't law and order style. It was not quite as riveting. It was... uh, it was contract law. So I mainly represented banks and construction companies. Yeah. So, I mean, I completely get that. My background was consulting, right? right. Uh, I did environmental work and some people have an idea of what that means and some people don't. Yep. Uh, but then I explained that my job was mostly reading regulations and keeping clients in compliance with those regulations. Right. And we both had to bill hours. So oh, we know 100%. what that was like. Did yep. not enjoy that aspect. No, that was not a fun part. So it was one of those eyes glazed over when I started to explain what I did. Yep. And I would imagine maybe you got a little bit of the same thing. There. Yeah. People are disappointed when they hear the details. All right. So tell me, how did you end up wanting to go into law? What what was the story there? What process kind of took you from a, a young boy to uh, one that was going to school and ultimately ended up practicing litigation law? Yeah. Well, funny you should ask, like most lawyers, I grew up wanting to be a doctor. Okay. <laughs> you meet very few people who grew up wanting to be a lawyer, or at least in my experience. So my whole life as a young boy, All I talked about was being a doctor, and I wanted to be a specific type of doctor. I wanted to be a surgeon, and I wanted to do transplants, heart and lung transplants. So I had my sights set on medicine. And then I went away to college, and I don't know, Jake, it was just, uh, I realized I did not enjoy school enough to be a doctor. Yeah. Or at least I thought, you know, I don't want to go to med school. I don't want to have to do the residency. I want to go ahead and start my career and not have to be on, you know, the education track for the next several years. 
Yeah, totally. I mean, I remember having similar thoughts to that too, right? Like I didn't yep. want to be 30 by the time I got my first right. full-time job. Yep. yep. Yeah. yeah. So you ended up going to school and medicine quickly started to go onto the back burner. So what, what was the shift there? You know, I remember calling my parents and having a conversation with them and saying, cause they had heard me talk about being a doctor for really all my life. And, uh, you know, once I didn't want to be a fireman or a policeman anymore, right? Like all little boys. But I remember saying, mom and dad, I've decided I don't want to go to medical school. And um, they were disappointed. I mean, mm-hmm. they were really disappointed because um, they weren't disappointed in me, but they were disappointed for me because I think to them, they thought, oh no, he's giving up on a dream. And so I felt a lot of pressure, right? Yeah. When I decided I'm not going to be a doctor anymore, I'm not going to pursue that. And so I'll be honest, I was feeling like I needed to pick a profession that would still have a professional aspect to it, wouldn't take quite as long to get a degree, um, but there would be some prestige part of it. And so I thought, you know what I could do? I could go to law school. Lawyers are respected. Lawyers can make a difference. And a law degree is pretty versatile. So if I want to use it one day, you know, to work for a large corporation, make a lot of money in other ways, of course, I can use my law degree. It's almost, that's the American dream. That's the American dream. So yeah. there was, it was law for me. It was really a fallback. Okay. So where did you go to school? When did you graduate? Just maybe a couple of the nuts and bolts details there. Sure. So I graduated from undergrad. So when I decided not to go to med school, I had to change my major. I was a biology major and I had to change, or I didn't have to change, but I decided to change to political science, um, again, like most law, law students. Um, and so I graduated from undergrad, let's see, it's hard to think back so many years ago, <laughs> right? Graduated from undergrad in 03, okay. and I did not take a break between undergrad and law school. I went straight into law school at 03, in 03. Um, enrolled at the University of Georgia Law so School. not the University of Michigan, some I other school. I did not go to Michigan, uh, no. Right, I went to uh, the Harvard of the South, University of Georgia, and uh, <laughs> enrolled in 03. Law school is three years, yep. and so I graduated in the spring of 2006. Okay, so tell me how you made the jump from graduation into litigation law. What, sure. what did that kind of look like for you? Yeah, so um, it was interesting. I graduated in May, and... Um, I was engaged to be married to my now wife and um, ended up, we had, we had found a house that we were going to move into after we were married in August. And she was home for the summer with her parents. She was still in school. She was home uh, with her parents for the summer. I went ahead and moved into the house that we were going to be living in in August. It didn't have TV. It didn't have phone. It didn't have internet. The reason I did that was because I needed to study for the bar exam and I needed to focus and study all the time for the bar exam. And so for the next several weeks, I crammed for the bar exam. I took the bar in August. I mean, yeah, no, July. I took the bar at the end of July, got married the next week, went on our honeymoon, came back, and started work. It was a whirlwind. Holy cow. Uh, uh, yeah, I feel like everyone wants to take gap years or yep. like gap decades mm-hmm. anymore. You did the exact yeah, I did. opposite. I didn't even really take a gap week. Uh, I mean, it was <laughs> bam, bam, bam. Yeah. uh, I mean, I didn't have the advanced degree, but I remember graduating and having the graduation ceremony on a Sunday and I started my full-time work on Monday. Yeah, I literally took zero days off in between and I fully regret that. But at least we had a honeymoon. There you go. A honeymoon and then a couple of weeks to kind of get the house in order. But I'll tell you, I ended up at a fantastic law firm. It was a medium-sized firm um, in the northern suburbs of Atlanta. 
and just a great group of people. And, you know, I ended up in the litigation department because I thought I wanted to be a litigator. I liked the idea of being in the courtroom. I liked the idea of, um, you know, arguing in front of a judge. I was told all my life that I was, a, I was good at arguing. And so I thought, well, <laughs> hey, why don't, I do, why don't I do litigation? Had an opportunity to work in other areas of the law firm, but again, chose litigation. I had done a summer internship there um, the summer before. And so I really liked the lawyers in that department. Um, so that's how I ended up um, in the litigation department and specifically doing mostly finance and construction work. Okay. So let's, let's fast forward a little bit. So you're practicing law. And then what happened? Because you are no longer practicing law in no, Atlanta, Georgia. No. So start to talk to me about what was unfolding in your life, as, at least as much as you remember here, uh, that made you start to contemplate, you know, is this all there is? Or sure. Is this what I should be doing? Yeah. So I would say the first, you know, when you start a new job, there's always going to be a honeymoon period, right? Where you're excited about the new. It was my first ever real job. I mean, I had done summer jobs even the summer before. I had worked, you know, as a law clerk at the at the law firm, but it was my first time making real money. It was my first time adulting, if yeah. you will. And so there was certainly a period where um, I was really enjoying what I was doing. I was enjoying the learning curve, um, but it was hard, you know, it was hard work. And I think anytime you start a brand new career, um, you know, most of the time there's going to be, it's going to be a big transition. It's going to be hard. And so it was certainly hard, but it was still new and it was exciting. And, um, I enjoyed it for the most part, you know, um, early on. And then I would say, um, you fast forward maybe a year or two, you know, the new has really worn off yeah. after a year or two. And you start to think, um, okay, I have a pretty good idea of what this looks like. Now, um, I had a, a pretty significant commute, um, which started to wear on me. I know um, you used to commute also into the city. Yep. And um, I know a lot of people listening right now, they probably aren't commuting right now, but they, they maybe, I mean, they, they may have started back now. Got the headphones in yeah. as they're taking the train down, listening to us maybe as Maybe right there. now. But <laughs> certainly, you know, many of the people listening have commuted at some point in their lives. And it, and it starts to wear on you. So that was part of it. Um, but I would say for me, um, I, a year or two in, I started to think, is this really what I, what I want to do for the rest of my life? And it's, it's so interesting because there was a lot of security in what I was doing. There yeah. was financial security. I was with a great team. I was working at a place that was making money. I was making really good money. Um, we had a, a nice house, was making a really good living. Um, but it just felt like there was something missing. Hmm. So... Can you put your finger on a little bit of what felt like it was missing? Yeah. I think I, I got to the point where I knew that I was doing what I could do, but I wasn't doing what I should do. Interesting. I wasn't doing what I should be doing. I didn't feel like I was fulfilling my calling, but I didn't know what that calling was. So I spent several years wondering what was next, looked in a lot of different places, but I knew that there was something else I was supposed to be doing at some point. Now, I did feel like God took me to law school. All of that was for a reason. I got the law degree for a reason. I got the job at the law firm in Atlanta for a reason. So I you know, didn't feel like I was outside of God's will. I just knew he had something for me next that was going to be more of what he was calling me to do. 
All right. So what did it look like to try and figure out what was next? Yeah. I mean, a, a lot of people want like being smacked over the mm-hmm. head or mm-hmm. a sign plopped into the yeah. front yard. The Gideon prayer, right? right. Like put do on a fleece. Right. Now do right. the exact opposite. Yep. I remember having those conversations with God, but I'm wondering, like, what's your story of it? How did you ultimately figure out what God had lined up next? So I would say for me, it was a series of yeses. Okay. And um, there's a lot of, of really interesting components. And, you know, we don't have a long enough for me to go through all of the things that brought me to where I am today. Um, but looking back, it's so interesting to see how God was preparing me for what was next. And I didn't even know it yeah. in the season. So I've shared a little bit of my story at the Naperville campus, but I grew up in a Christian home, um, grew up going to church, you know, every time the doors opened. I was grew up in a small church like you. Yeah. So we have similar stories in that as well. We both grew up in rural areas. And so a lot of similarities. And when I went away to college, um, church just wasn't a big priority for me. Um, I was not as... Um, I wasn't walking with the Lord as closely as I, as I really needed to be, um, and ultimately wanted to be. So that was missing. But then whenever I started, um, going to law school and, uh, was dating my now wife, she encouraged me, Hey, if we're going to get married, we're going to start going to church together and yeah. we're going to make this a priority. So we found a great church in the town we were living in and the town we were going to school in there, um, where the University of Georgia is in Athens. And uh, we just got involved in this great church. And so one of the things that that I did um, was I, I got involved at the church hmm. and we started serving. I sang on the worship team, another thing that we have in common hey, hey. Uh, that people you know might not know. There's um, a reason, just to interrupt you, that people still get us confused all yeah, the time for one another. It's, true. it's because we've got similar backgrounds. Yep. Yep. Just you got a cooler accent. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, definitely, definitely got some similarities. Um, but so I got involved at the church and then um, the pastor asked me if I would be willing to serve on the um, on the, the deacon team, which is, you know, the, the team of folks who they help run the business side of the church. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know enough about business. I mean, I wasn't even a business guy. Um, I was a lawyer, but they he was he was really um he was really committed to investing in the next generation of leaders at the church. And so he invited me to serve on the team. So I started to be exposed to, you know, what was going on behind the scenes at the church. Hmm. And um, much like what we did at South Naperville, this church was in the process of uh, building a brand new campus. They had bought land and they were going to be building this campus a few miles down the road. um, And it wasn't a multi-site, so they were going to be shutting down the campus that we were at and moving everything down the road. Um, but even that part, as a lawyer, I was involved in the business side of that. And so I started to kind of get a sense of some things that the church needed. Now, you have to understand, at the time, I'm looking for what's next, but I'm not thinking ministry. Yeah, I was thinking, like, should I work at the University of Georgia in um, academic administration, you know, should I, um, should I join, you know, um, should I, should I work in athletics? You know, I love sports kind of like George Costanza, right? I love sports. I'll just work in, uh, you know, I'll work for the Yankees. That's no. a Seinfeld reference yes. for those younger people joining yes. us. There you go. Seinfeld. Yeah. <laughs> so, but I thought, you know, and knew a lot of people. So I was having a lot of conversation and I, I just was kind of throwing things against the wall, hoping that something would stick. Um, 
nothing was sticking, but I was still putting things out there and, and I was having conversations. Again, this whole time, God is preparing me for what was next and I didn't even know it. Yeah. So what was next? <laughs> well, so I tell you one other piece that's so interesting. We, uh, we had one child. Um, at this at this time, our oldest, who's now ten, um, was was just a little over a year, and we had another one on the way, baby number two. And so, when I did start really looking at leaving the practice of law, we were about to have our second child, which is a whole you know, whole thing about faith, um, which you know is a wild part of the story. But I remember uh, this was the early days of Facebook. Yeah. Okay. And everybody was on Facebook at that time. You know, even the young people were on Facebook then. That's, yeah. how, that's how long ago this was. Ooh. Yeah. Oof. But, okay. um, you know, I remember one of the partners in the law firm walking down to my office and telling me that he had an interesting project for somebody to work on. And he wanted to know if I had the capacity to take on another project. And I said, not really. And then he said, it's really interesting, though. There are people on Facebook impersonating large church pastors, and they're friending these people, and they're talking to these people, pretending to be these pastors, and they're asking for money. Hmm. So what's happening is people are sending money to these scam artists, and then they're calling these large churches and saying, hey, we want our money back because yeah. we got scammed. And so I ended up representing these large churches, churches that people listening may have heard of all around the country, against Facebook, of all things. Huh. And so from doing that, I started to realize, you know what? Churches can benefit from people who do these sorts of things, right? Yeah. Help out with the business side, run the operations. Not everybody who works for a church has to be a preacher because I didn't feel called necessarily to be a preacher. Mm -hmm. So I start having conversations with the lead pastor of our church, the one who invited me onto the board. And I said, hey, if you ever want to hire somebody, if the church ever decides to hire somebody to help with this sort of thing, let me know. And he responded, I'll never forget, I was on the way to work one morning on my commute, talking to him on the phone, and he said, Ryan, we're looking for that person right now. Interesting. Yeah. That's fascinating, because I feel like a lot of times when we think about being content or even you know seasons of being discontent. A lot of times it's because we're doing a comparison game mm. with ourselves to other people. Mm -hmm. I've been in that boat. Yeah. Um, I remember, goodness, over a decade ago feeling like I was going to be called into ministry at some point in yeah. time. And I started playing the comparison game of, oh, this person's there. Why haven't, you know, like, right. why haven't I been able to move forward mm -hmm. in this way yet? Um, so that's one end of discontentment. But it sounds like you almost have a complete opposite end of it where it's, Holy Spirit-driven discontentment for reasons that we even can't put our fingers on until we sit down and look five years in the rearview mirror of why did we keep walking down this path to get to here? So ultimately, let's talk about how you moved into ministry and then just really quick, I know you've shared this story on a, a previous version of Midweek before, but yeah. just how you made it up here to Illinois. Sure. Yeah. So my first job down in Georgia, again, was at this church where we had been attending. We were there nine years before I went on staff. Again, similar to you. You know, yeah. you were here at the Compass. I mean, you were part-time, but you were here for a long time. And so I joined, um, I joined the staff at, at the previous church after attending there nine years. And I kind of had a hybrid role. Um, I, um, I oversaw the staff. Um, so there was a ministry component in a way. 
Um, but then there was an operations and a business side of it too. Sure. Um, the church was really growing. Um, when we f- started attending there, um, I would say in 2007, no, I'm sorry. Uh, anyway, 2004, maybe, um, the church was like 150 people. When we left, um, in 2018, it was 1500. So it like grew 10 times. Yeah. Um, so the church was going through, you know, major transitions. And part of my job was just to come in and, and help stabilize, help scale things. Um, and so I did that for five years. I worked there for five years. Um, and, um, yeah, that was, that was what I did there. And then ultimately you, you came up here, you are now the campus pastor at our Naperville campus. We love having you here, but I, I want to ask just one question specifically around contentment for you here as we're getting ready to kind of wrap up a little bit. What does contentment look like for you now in your job? Because we've talked about how, you know, you were content for seasons, at least uh, previously, but God was always doing something kind of behind the scenes. So as now you've got, you know, the 15 years, 20 years, whatever it is out of college of, you know, vocational work and now vocational ministry, what's contentment look like for you these days? So for me, I would say contentment means a couple of things. Number one, knowing that um, ultimately God is in control, hmm. right? Scripture says man plans is his man plans, but the or but the, but Lord, the Lord orders the steps, steps, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, I, there's something to that, right? We can have the best laid plans, but ultimately. If we believe God is sovereign and he is in control, then we believe he's got a plan greater than ours, right? And by revealing his plan to us, whether it's, you know, early on, whether it happens quickly or whether like me and like you, it happens over a number of years. I think remembering that he's in control is such a big part of contentment. And then knowing that what he has for us is best, right? Hmm. And that was a big thing for me in walking away from law and going into ministry. Remember I told you that when I told my mom and dad that I was not going to be a doctor, they were pretty disappointed? Sure. I'm just guessing you had a different conversation again. Yeah. Well, when I told them that I was leaving the practice of law and I was going to work at the church, and it wasn't just my parents, but lots of people I had that conversation with, I could sense disappointment in them. Hmm. Um, Shock, you know? When I told the people that I worked with and I worked for, there were a lot of really surprised people. Because, I mean, I say this humbly, but I was really good at my job. And I was a year from being a partner in Hmm. the law firm. And so it was big to walk away. But I knew that God was calling me into a new season and that ultimately, if I followed him, and it wasn't easy, and it hasn't been easy at times, but I knew if I followed him, that my life would be better than I could ever imagine if I didn't follow him. And so for me, that's what contentment is, knowing he's in control and knowing that what he has for us is best. All right. Well, then I want to just kick it over to you open-ended style here as we get ready to wrap up. Is there anything else that you want to add for anybody joining in? Uh, An encouragement, um, more of your story? I'll just kind of lay it out on the table and say, you have the floor. Um, Share anything that you'd like. Yeah, I think the biggest thing is it's so easy. um, It's so easy to lose hope, Hmm. right? especially in this day and age where people are just at each other. And if you look around um, with what's going on in the world, it's so easy to feel hopeless. Yet um, we have a different hope, right? We have an eternal hope. And that is, it's so important to remember that. And it's important to remember that no matter what we're going through, 
God does have a plan and it's going to be revealed to us and through us if we just trust. I heard somebody say one time, um, I think it was a pastor delivering a, a, a message, you know, um, it's really easy to forget what pastors say, right? <laughs> but um, I remember um, someone saying, you know, when we look at situations, we see a snapshot. But when God looks at situations, he sees a panoramic. Hmm. He, he has a panoramic view. And, you know, when we go through a difficult time, then, um, you know, when we arrive, when we get to a new place, it's easy to look back and see, like in my story, all the places God is working. But when you're in the moment, you're going through it, it doesn't necessarily feel that he's working. And so, you know, I look back and I see that person who I, you know, I see myself years ago when I felt that strong discontentment in my job. You know, I wasn't miserable. I wasn't hating life, but there was a stirring. There was a holy discontent, if you will, where I knew there was something else. And there were times when I wondered, is God ever going to reveal to me what I'm supposed to do? And he did in time. I was patient. He was working all along. And so my encouragement is just don't lose hope. Believe that he's working and wait on his plans to be revealed. Love it. The holy discontent and just Mm -hmm. waiting for God to reveal what he has for you. There's a reason that we're told to pray, you know, give us our daily Mm -hmm. bread. We're not asking for what's to come 50 years in the future. It's just trust God in the here and now, and he's going to continue to work things out ultimately for his good and his glory for those of us who love Jesus. Yep. Um, And I'm grateful that we get to hear a little bit of how God has done that in your life and specifically just in your work life. I know there's a lot of other ends that we could have talked about, but this has been really good. Honestly, thank you for taking the time to come in and do this. Um, I really appreciate you just in general, um, and I appreciate your story. I I love hearing how God calls people from one thing into something that's completely different different. to where it doesn't make sense for any other reason except to say, but Jesus. That's right. Uh, And that's your story. That's a little bit of my story. And that might be some of your story as well. So... That's my encouragement too. If you're going through a season of just feeling discontent, just don't leave it there. Turn to trusted advisors. God has put people in your life who have just wisdom if they are loving and following Jesus. Talk to one of us or a pastor on staff, but ultimately more than any of that, don't neglect to talk to God about it. Pray through why is he making you feel this discontent Mm. in the moment? Mm -hmm. Or what is it that's making you feel jealous of what somebody else has like we saw from Saul during the weekend message? God is faithful to answer your prayers. It might not be in the way you want to or Mm. in the timing you want, but God will continually show up when we are speaking to him. So just my encouragement to you is make sure you're taking the time to do that. So Ryan, thank you for being here today. Really appreciate it. Thank you all for joining us today. We're going to come back next week where we're going to talk about what it looks like to obey and to lead through hardship. Mm. I'm going to have Gene Lundy on, who's um, an adult ministry pastor or director here at our South Naperville campus. And she's got an incredible story about what it looks like to lead and obey through hardship. Because a lot of times I feel like I have things hard, but when I heard her story of what God has called her into and through and how he's still working in her life through the midst of just really difficult circumstances makes my problems seem a little bit more light and momentary so you're not going to want to make you're not going to want to miss that so make sure to join us next week here on midweek at the compass